Grab your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 4 with me. Uh, thankful for all that Jesus has done. I, I appreciate our, uh, those that work with us in uh, both services. They have to listen to the same message and the same jokes twice, and so y'all pray for them. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, I, I'm sure I, they could get tired of listening to my voice, but I'm thankful uh, that we have this opportunity, both services, to be able to glorify the Lord. And so in Matthew chapter 4, we see uh, just a tremendous uh, just a place in Scripture as Christ is beginning His ministry and He has uh, brought to uh, two of His disciples, would-be disciples, a major question. And really, they have to make a decision. What will they do with what, what He instructs here in this passage? In the, uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, actually in Matthew 3, we see Jesus is baptized. In Matthew 4, he's tempted and tried before he begins his ministry. And he begins his ministry to, to teach and to preach the gospel. And he begins to, uh, to do great things in the, in the name of the Lord. And, and then he begins to call out some disciples. And that's what our passage deals with today, this calling out of two of his disciples. But it leaves us with a couple of questions. And so we have opposed this. I have decided... And you've got to decide. Amen? We've got to decide. If we look at this, we, life is made up of decisions. Amen? You made a decision to be here today. You made a decision to, to get up at a certain time. You made a decision to get dressed. You made a decision of what you were going to eat. You made a decision of what route you're going to take to be here. Some of you said, well, I didn't make any of those decisions. Well, I'm glad you're here anyway. But you know, there was a couple who'd been married for 60 years. And they were celebrating. In our first service, we had a couple of... Uh, Two couples that had been celebrated 60 years of marriage. Uh, anybody here that's celebrated 60 years yet? One back here, Brother Don. All right, praise the Lord. And so last year we had a couple who were celebrating 70 years, a couple of them that celebrated 70 years. But uh, we've had a couple of our, uh, several of our families that have celebrated 60 years of marriage. Uh, now that is just phenomenal. I, I mean, that is just amazing. And I just praise the Lord for these, uh, these uh, examples that we have. But this couple, they were excited about their, their anniversary, and so they planned this big shindig, and they invited their family, and they invited all their friends, and they got them all together in this, in this, uh, this venue, and, and they, they were asked, he said, what is the secret of a successful marriage? And the husband said, well, when we were first married, we came to an agreement. If we faced major decisions, I would make those decisions. If we faced any minor decisions, little decisions, I'll let my wife make those decisions. And about that time, his wife just perked up and said, up to this point in 60 years, we've never had any major decisions. <laughs> You'll get that in a second. You know, decisions are part of life. We make all kinds of decisions. And, and here in this moment, as, as God is talking to uh, these two would-be disciples, he poses them with a statement that requires a decision. And so they must make this decision. They must decide what they will do in light of what Christ has called them to and so this decision and many decisions that we make in life have great lasting effects. Let's look at our text together. We're going to read Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22 together. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Let's stop and pray together. 
Father, we thank you for this time together and for, Lord, for the Word of God and, Lord, for the, the power of the call and, Lord, for this opportunity to decide. And, Lord, as we look at these, these men who chose to follow you, I pray that, Lord, our hearts would be stirred to follow Christ in this era and in this time. Lord, that we might truly see how Christ do miracles today just as he did miracles back then. We praise you and give you this time and pray that, Lord, you would remove any hindrances uh, from your work being able to go out in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look here, we see just this, this, this is the very beginning of Christ's ministry. And at the beginning of his ministry, his popularity grew. And matter of fact, it's much like a balloon. It started off small and got really big in the middle and then it, and it dwindled at the end. As a matter of fact, John 6, 66 uh, tells us that many of his disciples quit following him after, after a period of time. But here in this time, it's really the beginning. Things are starting to take off. And, and many people thought that Jesus had come to rid them of Roman oppression. They thought he was their, their uh, savior that would deliver them from uh, the anarchy uh, of, uh, and the oppression that they felt every day. But that wasn't God's will. God had a greater desire, a greater design in his coming. And in his, in his coming, his coming was to deliver them from a sin oppression. And so he wanted to deliver them from sin. And so instead of uh, establishing a nation at that point, he called 12 ordinary men. And in our text, we see where there's just a portion of that calling as he reaches out to some of these men and he, he pulls them in and he says, listen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so as he began his earthly ministry, he called these men to a decision. And so God's calling us to decide as well. And there's three decisions I see that we can make and three decisions that this points us to here uh, through this example and through their life's example uh, that we can really uh, cling to this morning. And the first decision is a decision to follow Jesus. Here in the very beginning, and I love that Jesus, we find him walking by the Sea of Galilee. He was just had a burning desire to be maybe by himself or maybe alone or maybe he just had a purpose uh, to be there that day. Instead of being in the palaces or in the, in the cathedrals or any of these fancy places, he just needed the calm and the refreshing of the waters. If you're a fisherman, you can kind of understand that. But as we think about uh, where Christ was that day, I believe that God led him there and he was led there for a purpose of calling some men. And God had a desire for them to hear this call. And, you know, it's important that we hear the call to follow Jesus Christ today. And really, if you look in society, we have books and we have seminars on how to lead, but there's not a lot of stuff on how to follow. But really, the greatest call that we can have is not to lead, but to follow Jesus Christ. And so this was a call to follow Christ, a call to humility, a call to say, listen, I'm going to put all these things aside and I'm going to choose, Lord, to follow you first and foremost. And so as Christ traveled throughout this country, there was a general call for people to come and to repent, but there was also a message that was specific to these disciples. And in verse number 18, uh, the Bible says he saw Simon and Peter, uh, Simon called Peter, excuse me, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. And he used this and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so he called them. But listen, I love the fact that, that Christ wasn't uh, looking for the most worthy or the most notable or the, the, most, uh, uh, the most rich necessarily, but he was looking for those that were just, uh, they were simple. Aren't you glad that he calls us simple? I look in the mirror and I'm glad that he calls us simple. 
I'm glad that he can use the simple things in this world. As a matter of fact, he didn't go to the lush palace halls. He didn't go to the temple secret chambers or high societies, inner cities. Instead, he found men who had no great abilities on their own. And he looked for men who would just simply follow. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. And really that's the purpose of what what He's done here. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so we see that God calls and He says, listen, the reason I'm I'm not looking for the most fantastic, the greatest emperor or any of those things is so that people can look at your life and say, listen, this is the work of God. This is simply the work of God. It wasn't great wealth. It wasn't great abilities, great intelligence, although I think each of these men in their own way had had uh, just a piece of uh, just some incredible uh, intelligence as we see that the Holy Spirit works through them in Acts. And we saw God do tremendous things. But truly, even in their own testimony in Acts, they were unlearned men. But God wanted to use them. And so what was the key? They could hear the call. But we see also that they heeded the instructions here as, as Christ said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So this is the instructions, follow me. And so the response from these disciples was immediate. If you look in verse 20, I love this. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. It was a compelling invitation. It was this, this desire to be with him. They had heard his preaching. They had seen what he had done. They had, they had uh, just from the outside looking in, thought, man, what a tremendous man. But now here he is in their presence. One commentator said, such was the irresistibleness of the authority of his personality that they prompted, promptly obeyed him. They wanted to be near Jesus. They had this desire. And so they chose to leave all and follow Jesus Christ. Listen, if we're going to be able to heed the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because we're going to leave all. It's because we're going to remove the other influences and listen to Him. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 20 and through 22, there's an there's a example of a man that came to Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 19, because I don't have all of these verses on the screen for you. Uh, but there's a few extras that I threw in here that, uh, that I wanted to just to point out to you. In Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16, begins a dissertation between Christ and a rich young ruler. And so in verse 16 it says, And behold, one came to him and said, Good master, which was a sign of great respect, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, just let me back up for a second. Verse 16 pictures what many people are asking today. What things should I do? What thing can I do to be able to earn eternal life? And I love Christ's response. He said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. But if thou wilt enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? And Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man saith unto him, in all of his glory, in all of his pride, all of these things have I kept from my youth up. 
In other words, I've never sinned before. I'm perfect. What lack I yet? And 21 says, And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell what uh, that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, what was the difference here? What was Christ trying to point out? Listen, as Christ was talking to this young man, he said, listen, you, you've been good, but in even, even in all your goodness, your heart is not right. You see, because it's not a matter of just the outward, it's a matter of the inward work of God in our life. And so he comes to this rich young ruler and he says, listen, it must be a matter of the heart. In verse number 21, if that would be perfect, go and sell. He said, the one thing that you're clinging to, the one thing that hinders you is your love of everything else above God. And so here we have this this truth that this rich young ruler, and no doubt this was in, in that society in that time for a man to be Uh, a ruler as a young man meant that he had great respect and he had proved himself to be a man of great wisdom even in his youth. But he loved his money and his money separated him from surrendering all to Christ. Listen, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's other things, but whenever we allow something to hinder our walk with the Lord, then what we're saying is, God, I've decided not to follow Jesus. I've decided I'm going to follow this instead. And that young ruler that day, instead of following Jesus, he said, I'm going to follow the money. Perhaps later he went back and he had time to repent. We don't know. We we never hear the rest of the story, but that's what we know. And and so I want to just point out that God uh, reminds us the, the priority of making sure your heart is in unison with him by heeding his instructions. One writer, uh, Robert Chapman, said this, and I read this in, just in an email this morning, and I thought it would be good to include this morning. Uh, the great cause of neglecting the Scriptures is not want of time, but want of heart. Some idol taking the place of Christ. What a great thought. You know, say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. I don't have time to read my Bible every day. I have to get up at 3 a.m. I've got these things to do and all of this stuff lined out. And I just don't have time. And by the time I get home at the end of work, I'm just so exhausted and I can't hardly lift my head. And let me just say, it's not lack of time. It's lack of heart. Are you willing to follow the Lord? What idol is in the place of God in your life? And so, so Christ was saying to these, these young men as he came to Peter and he came to Andrew and then later the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he came to them and he called them and he said, follow me. And they immediately left their, all that was behind them and they said, the world behind me, the cross before me. We live in a, a different kind of world today. Uh, there's a new term called cancel culture. How many of you have heard that on the news? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to go into too much depth in that, but basically, cancel culture demands that we bow the knee to spiritual anarchy. It demands that we eliminate all forms of God, especially Christianity. But this is not new. Throughout history, there has been a, a constant threat to anybody who would claim the name of Jesus Christ. And so this is not something new that I'm not griping necessarily. I think this is something we've got to recognize, that this is, this is something that will continue to be an issue. And so cancel culture is not necessarily a new thing, maybe new to us, but not necessarily new to Christianity. Matter of fact, over the last hundred years, persecution has increased uh, multiple, uh, multiple times uh, over because of uh, just the, 
the animosity, and it reminds me so much of the Lord's return. But one such illustration came out and was just, which is very stark to me. And, and I was just so thankful that, that God calls us, even in these times, in, in this time where we're called the spiritual anarchy, to stand. And to stand like, you know, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did when, when they were instructed to bow before an idol. These men stood, and they stood firmly. And even though it cost them potentially their life and were thrown into a fiery furnace, these men stood for the Lord. And, and they boldly told Nebuchadnezzar, he said, listen, he says, it doesn't matter if our God saves us or not saves us. We're not going to bow before your God. This week, an MLB player made national news as he chose to stand for the national anthem. The whole team of the Los Angeles Giants took a knee except for Sam Coonright. And this man, he stood there on the line, and there's a stark picture floating around the internet of this one lone man standing on that line. And I want to share with you what he said because he's been hammered pretty hard. And he said this, I don't think I'm better than anybody. I'm just a Christian. I believe I can't kneel before anything but God, Jesus Christ. I chose not to kneel. I feel if I did, I'd be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. That was his choice. He says, I'm going to follow Jesus. It may cost him his reputation. It may cost him his career. But he made his choice. And his choice is, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for, for Peter and Andrew or James and John to, to leave their father, to leave their boats, to leave the nets and the security of all of those things and to, to pick up and just to follow Christ. They didn't drag their nets with them. They said they left their nets. They didn't say, well, if Christ, following Christ doesn't work out for a while, then I'll go back to the net thing. I'll go back to the fishing. He said, I'm going to leave that stuff on the shore. I'm not going to worry about finish mending it. I'm just going to follow Jesus Christ and I'm, that's going to be my priority. They heeded the instructions because they chose to follow Jesus. But we also see there's a decision to focus our affection. What do we love today? Man, we throw around that word a lot. Well, I love pizza. Amen? Where's my teenagers today? Uh, yeah. All right. I love, I love Mexican food. That's, that's really my first love outside of the Lord and my family. Mexican food is right up there. You know, in the Bible, in Revelation, he talks about the tree of life. It's going to have bluebell ice cream and Mexican food. I'm just saying, I don't know how God's going to work it out, but he's the God of the impossible. And that is not theologically correct, but it's John Bingham correct, all right? But, you know, we think about some of those things, and we, we say, we love these things. How many of you love fishing? Amen. Some of you really enjoy fishing, get out on that water, and you, and you catch you a big one, and you think, this is the life right here. Some of you enjoy uh, different things in life, but, but listen, we talk about love, and God says, and he God deals with love in our heart, and He deals with this need to have the right kind of love. Matter of fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 38, uh, 35 through 38, He deals with a young man who asked Him, what is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest thing to live for in all of your life? Matthew twenty two thirty five says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Remember, they, they had 613 of these things. And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. God said, Love me. 
To love me above everything else, that is the greatest thing that you could live for. That's the greatest commandment that we could obey, is to love God with all of our heart. And so here's the instruction here. Love me above everything else, church. Love me above family. Love me above uh, finances. Love me above security. Love me. And and this is what I I love uh, that Christ just illustrates here. Love Him alone. Above everything else, our affection should be on Christ alone. When Christ called these disciples, He was calling them, leave your nets, leave your ship, leave your father. These items represented security in their finances, being able to cast the net and drag them in and and gather in fish, would put food on their table, would provide finances for their family so they could have rent for their their homes or their shelters or whatever they needed. Uh, there, There was safety in family. You know, being around their family, knowing that, you know, if they ever had a need, that family was there to help step in, or knowing they had someone to talk to who was their friend no matter what because they, they were blood. They had to be. And so there was that safety net there that, that was removed. There was the comfort that that boat provided of being able to comfortably uh, do their duties and, and to, 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 uh, to make that life. And he said, listen, all of these things, he says, are secondary. Christ's popularity as it ballooned with the crowds crowds that followed him, he began to attract others, other people that said, I want to be your disciple, I want to follow you. And truly there were many people that wanted to follow Jesus. But in Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, there was a scribe that came to him. And he said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He said, Listen, he said, you think it's fun to follow me because people, and there's throngs, and there's, and there's popularity, but I'm going to tell you this is not going to be easy. Following Jesus Christ and putting Him as your affection means that all, all these other things become secondary. He didn't offer a, a life of comfort. There wasn't the, uh, the Jimmy Swaggart life or any of these things. He didn't say, listen, this is going to be your life. You're going to fly in jet planes and go all over the world. What he said was, listen, you're not going to have a place to lay your head. You're not going to have uh, the comfort of knowing where your next meal will come from. But just being able to trust to know that God is there, that's what I'm talking about. That's what it means to love God and love Him alone. Look with me in Matthew chapter 6. Because I want you to see that as he says this, he says, listen, our affection is not just in Christ, but because Christ resides in heaven, our our affection is upon things above and not on things of this earth. And so in Matthew chapter 6, he begins in the Sermon on the Mount, this dissertation regarding uh, the earthly, the, the temporary versus the eternal. What do you love? And I would encourage you to take some time and read Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34 in its entirety. But for time's sake, I'm just going to read verses 19 and 20 today. He says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal." For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Christ begins this section, and He begins to talk about the heart of the matter. And what do you truly love? Is it the temporary? Is it the temporal things? Or is it the eternal? And He rounds it out with Matthew 6.33. Many of our children, and maybe you can even quote this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Christ says, listen, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind. 
That's the greatest calling we have today is to love God. And matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, we're, we're warned and, and, uh, that there is a coming day of judgment. And in this day of judgment, our works will be tried. In this trying, all those earthly works that we invest so much of our time and effort and money into, it says those earthly works will be done away. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. But those investments of eternal nature will be a great reward on that day of judgment. So Paul, in, in just as we walk through the Scriptures, we see that he just is so consistent through the power of the Spirit and through, through the inspiration of the, the, the Spirit, he writes Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He said, if ye then be risen with Christ. In other words, if you're a believer today, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, he said, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. Your old flesh is dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. That's, the, that's, that's what he's calling us to. He says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind. And really, and that brings us back to Matthew 4. As he, see, he calls him, says, follow me. What he's saying is, put these things behind you. And, uh, and instead, of just, instead of saying, add me to your list, he said, leave those nets, leave that boat, leave your family. He didn't say hate those things, but he said you have a brand new love. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, there's some things that I enjoy. I enjoy loud cars. Can I get an amen to that? I like them when they go down, go down the road, there's a big motor in them, and man, they just roast some rubber, and you're like, man, there's a win $1,000 worth of rubber just related on the road. I think that's fun to watch. I like a, a long hike in a scenic area, being able to see some beautiful overlooks or maybe dipping your feet into the cool water. I think that's just so refreshing on a hot summer day. Or I like to be able to be in the woods early in the morning and look up and see a deer as he just very slowly walks through the woods and you see the, the breath coming out of his nostrils because it's so crisp and cool that morning. Aren't those some beautiful things? But let me tell you, those, though those things are beautiful and those, those things are appealing, they don't hold anything to who God is and how awesome He is in our life. Paul stated in the moment that he knew that he was about to be taken and imprisoned, he stated this, None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He said, listen, those things aren't important. He says, it doesn't matter if I'm locked up, I'm chained up, I'm imprisoned, I'm, I'm murdered. It doesn't matter because I don't even count my life dear. And the one thing I love is that God might help me to finish this ministry, that God might help me to finish this course, and that I might, might bring glory to the Lord that I love so dearly. People seek fortune, they seek fame, seek fame, they seek glory, they seek power, and we're told that these are the key to happiness. Yet one glimpse through history reveals that these will never buy happiness. It's the oldest lie that Satan uses. Joy cannot be found in unbelief. Voltaire said, as an infidel, I wish I had never been born. Joy cannot be found in pleasure. Lord Byron, who lived a life of pleasure, he wrote, the worm, the canker, and the grief, and grief are all mine alone. Joy cannot be found in money. Jay Gould, who was an American millionaire, said when he was dying, I suppose, 
I am the most miserable man on the earth. Joy cannot be found in position and fame. Lord Baconsville, who enjoyed both of those, or excuse me, Beaconsville Field, who enjoyed both of those, he said this, Youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. What sad, sad testimonies. And one last one, Alexander the Great who was known for his military glory, who was known to to have conquered the entire known world in his day. And having done so, he went into his tent and he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. I have nothing more to do. They couldn't find joy. They couldn't find happiness. They couldn't find the contentment that they sought so deeply in all of the world's uh, uh, glories, in all of the world's uh, gifts. But they could... uh, Tell you where this is found, and where joy is found, where, uh, where we can find the, the peace, the happiness that is in found in following Jesus Christ when we love Him above everything else. Are you seeking to attain Christ? Are you seeking to walk with Him daily? Like Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, as He calls us to walk together in this, uh, this walk with the Lord. And He says, walk worthy of this vocation and walk with Jesus Christ and put Him first in your life. Church, let me just encourage you today that just, just like those disciples chose to leave the nets and to leave their father and leave their that boats, to, to love the Lord was their desire. May it be our desire as well. Now I want to point out one last thing from our text this morning. One final decision, one final thing that we can say, I choose, I have decided to faithfully live. I want to live my life faithfully. I want at the end of my course be able to hear, well done, now good and faithful servant, so that when I stand before the Lord, I, I, there is there's great joy and not great sorrow. These disciples... Peter, James, John, Andrew, they would face some horrific things going forward. They would face some of the most incredible miracles ever beheld upon earth, but they would also face some great challenges. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, prior to our text, there's this testimony made about Jesus Christ, which is a quote from Isaiah 9 2. And in then verse 16, it says, The people which sat in darkness saw great lights, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light has sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, without Christ, this world is in darkness. Without Christ, this world is lost and wandering around without any hope of finding their own way. But when Christ came into the world, He is the light of the world. John 8:12 says, Then spake Jesus unto them again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Davis stated this: Darkness was dispelled by the great light, and the Son of Righteousness brought healing. The followers of Christ are to bring him the light and light of all men to those who are in the thraldom of destroying darkness, of sin, and arrogance. He is the light of the world. And His servants, having taken His image, become light bearers to a sin-darkened world. The darkness is not local. The, uh, the light is not restricted. Christ's mission is to be worldwide. And the light bearers are to go wheresoever the darkness may be. You see... In a day that demands that we toe the line of submission to the world, there is a gentle, gentle voice of Christ still saying, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
He calls out to us and he says, Church, will you follow me? Will you focus your attention? Will you focus your affection upon him? He calls even now uh, uh, to uh, have a life of faithfulness. May I just say the disciples were not perfect. They experienced times of weakness. Matter of fact, if we just take one example, let's look at Peter, who was a, a disciple who followed the Lord, and, and God used him to do gr- tremendous things. In Acts chapter 2, he preached a sermon where, where 3,000 were saved and baptized that day. We don't know the total number, but that's what is recorded. And, and later we see his life is used, and he wrote a, two powerful epistles in First and Second Peter. We just see Peter's life was a tremendous uh, uh, testimony of God's grace and goodness. But this is, this is Peter. Peter was loud. He was boisterous. Oftentimes, he walked, as a matter of fact, one time he walked on water, but he sank below the waves. Peter was a man who said, Jesus Christ is the Son of God in one breath. And just a few moments later, he says, I know not the man. This is Peter, the Peter who, uh, who preached the truth on, on the day of Pentecost, but later had to be rebuked by Paul because he wanted to add things to salvation. This is Peter, a man A man that God used. Not a perfect man, but a man that God used. And he faithfully served the Lord. Paul said, I finished my course. I've run my race. I've finished my course. He says, I want to finish this in such a way that God gets the glory. And listen, as we look at as we look at Paul's life, if we look at Peter's life, if we look at the life of the disciples, save one, we see that there were disciples who truly desired to follow Jesus Christ. Not perfect, just as we won't be perfect, but a desire to walk with Christ. 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales. As a result of this, many missionaries came to uh, the northeast, uh, northeast area of India to spread the gospel. In this region, it was known as Assam, and it was comprised of hundreds of different tribes who were uh, known as priv- primitive and aggressive headhunters. And into these tribes and into these different areas came a group of missionaries from the American Baptist Missions. And they began spreading the message of love and peace and hope through Jesus Christ and Naturally, their message and them as a people were not well received, but they came anyway. One missionary had worked and labored and, and, and finally saw one convert. And this man, he led his wife to the Lord and they led their children to the Lord and, and they loved the Lord with all their heart and, 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 and they began to witness to their neighbors and they began to witness to other villagers and other people came to know Christ as well. And as, as they came to know Christ, they began to put their faith in Christ, the chief and the village became very angry and vehement with, with all that was going on. And so he brought them in and he brought in all the villagers and he made them stand before him. And he had his warriors on either side of him and his warriors had bows and arrows drawn and they were uh, at the ready. And as the villagers were around, the chief looked at this man and his family and he says, listen, you will denounce Christ now or I will kill your children. In just a moment, the man began to sing just instantaneously. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Enraged, this chief 
ordered his men, he said, shoot his children, and both children went down to the ground, arrows protruding from their body. The chief asked again, will you deny your faith? You've lost both of your children. You will lose your wife too. But instead of denying, he sang these words. Though none goes with me, still I will follow. Though none goes with me, still I will follow. Though none goes with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The chief, just beside himself with anger and fury, ordered his wife to be shot. And finally, he asked him one more question. I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and to live. And in the face of death, the man sang one more verse. The cross before me, the world behind me. He was shot dead like the rest of his family. They all laid there in the ground, and the chief limped over the bodies of this man and his family. And he asked this question. He wanted to know, why should this man... His wife and his two children die for a man who lived in a faraway land on another continent some 2,000 years ago. There must be some remarkable power behind this family's faith, and I want to taste a faith like that. And so in his spontaneous confession of faith, he declared, I too belong to Jesus Christ. And when the crowd heard this from the mouth of one, from the mouth of their chief, the whole village accepted Christ as their Savior. One by one, they began to profess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This song is based on the words of this man named Noxing, a man from the Garo tribe of Assam. And still today we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. Truly, the decision is yours. Will you decide to follow Jesus? Will you decide to put the nets, put the boat, put the, put the other distractions away and say, Lord, I'm going to love you above everything else in my life. You're going to be the one that I love with all my heart and my soul and my mind. I'm going to make sure that my affection, my faith is firmly planted in you and in you alone. Will you decide to follow Jesus today? This begins by putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Lord knows every person's heart. He knows whether you put Christ, uh, ask Christ to save you from your sins or not. He knows whether you're going to heaven or hell or not. I can't see into hearts, but God knows, and He's already speaking to your heart. And this morning, I want to remind you of a scripture out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2. He saith, I have heard thee in the time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so God says, right now, where you're at in this moment, if you feel that Holy Spirit pricking your heart and telling you you need to be saved, when we sing this invitation in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come. I'll be right here in the front. Come and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. And we will show you from the Bible how that you can accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You see, because God wants you to be saved. He wants you to be in heaven with Him. He doesn't want you to be in hell. He wants you to be with Him forever. And so that is your decision. If I could make that decision for you, I I would a hundred times over. But I can't. But God's calling you. And He says, will you follow me?